How do you get the most out of life? How do you get the most out of life? I think it's a question that many of us ponder. When we think about our lives, we want to live it to the fullest. How do we get the most out of life? And I think when we experience what our nation saw unfold uh, last Sunday afternoon in the death of Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and seven of their friends through this tragic helicopter crash, our hearts go out to those that grieve and mourn, and then even closer to home, as we think about people in our church body and people we know who's lost loved ones recently and, and our hearts go out to them and we pray and grieve for them as well. And, and I think just being in these things and seeing these things creates the question within us, what about my life? And if it can end so quickly and, and without any kind of warning, how do I know I'm living fully the way I should live? How do I know I'm getting the most out of this life? I think most of us want to get the most out of this life. We want to live life to the fullest. I think if I interviewed all of you and said, do you want to live life to the fullest? I don't think there'd be one person that'd say, no, I actually just want a little bit of life and then I'm good, you know. We all want to live life to the fullest. And I think this is something that is in us from the moment we are born. We, God has hardwired us to live for abundant life. And I think we see this just in interactions with kids. Uh, they did an interview with kids about life when they grow up and what do they look forward to most when they grow up. Look at that guy. How can you not smile at that picture, huh? They asked kids, what do you look forward to most in becoming a grown-up? Here's some of their answers. As many Reese's peanut butter cups as I want. No more school and a new puppy every day. Becoming a zookeeper. Not having to share my room with my sister and making every day be like Christmas. Do you hear in there this desire for life to the full? I think it's totally in us. I think we have this desire for abundant life. And so that leads us to the question, how do we get the most out of life? How do we get the most out of the days that we have since we don't know when they'll end, but we know who's in control? And how do we get the most out of those days. I think we think so many times in our own strength. We go to that class, we read that book, we watch that movie, we get inspired, and I'm going to put this all together and get this in, in and make myself a better me. Or we put a religious tag on that to make it happen. Maybe you grew up in a church where you lived by what I call the shame mantra of God is good, you are bad, try harder. God is good, you are bad, try harder. God is good, you are bad, try harder. And that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we try everything to get a better life and live it to the full. And, and the reality is this, that a better you does not equal abundant life. A better you does not equal abundant life. There has to be something greater. God has something so much greater for us. And the best place for us to go to find out how to get the most out of life is God. Because he's a living God. I love the fact that the Bible calls God a living God. Out of all the options that are out there for spirituality, we are the one as Christians who have a God who's alive. Because Jesus came, he died, and he rose from the dead, and he said he's going to come back, and he calls himself the living God. So when it comes to life, why should we not trust him? Why should we not ask him how we could live a full, abundant life? Jesus told us clearly 
how to live a full life. Jesus told us clearly how to have an abundant life, and the instruction that he told us on how to do it may surprise you. In our text today, we see Jesus with his disciples, and I picture them kind of huddled underneath this tree, trying to get some shade from the blistering hot desert sun as they're along this desert road. And you can see that they're starting to bond as friends. They're starting to get closer to one another. And Jesus is just curious, and he starts to ask them, so what do people say about me? Who do they say that I am? And they start throwing around all these ideas, and, and finally Peter says, you're the Messiah. And it was like this amazing moment where truth came out and and Jesus embraced me and said, yes, you are right. This is true. And then in the very next moment after that, he basically says to them, do you want to have true life? Do you want to live life to the fullest? Let me tell you how you do it. And he lays out this instruction that we're going to look at. But what he says catches his disciples off guard. And it might catch us off guard as well. Because what he says is this, he says, if you want life, if you want life, you have to die. If you want life, you have to die. You have to die to yourself in this world and live for something greater. We're in a series called True Disciple, and I think if I pulled a bunch of pastors out there and asked them, if you were putting together a series on True Disciple, what verse would you teach from. I think this verse would probably be at the top of the list, if not number one. And we're going to be looking at a verse in the book of Luke in chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, 23 to 24. If you're new to the Bible, I'm glad you're checking it out. Uh, Luke is kind of three quarters of the way in. If you kind of uh, open halfway and start turning towards the right, you'll get to Matthew, to Mark, and then you'll find Luke. And I'll be in the big number nine. If you go to the big number nine, and I'll be talking about little numbers 23 to 24. If you're using a Bible that we have here in the worship center, I'll be on page 919, 919 in that Bible. And what we want to see in this passage is Jesus huddled with his friends, now ready to tell them after it's been noted who he is, that he's God's Messiah, now he's going to tell them the way to get true life. Let's start and look at verse 21 and read to 25 of Luke chapter 9. It says, but he strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one, saying, it is necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? In this interaction where Jesus speaks what it takes to get life, we see four actions that lead to ultimate, abundant, and eternal life. If you want abundant, eternal, fulfilling, soul-satisfying life, Jesus says these are the things that have to happen. The first one he says is, come after me. 
Verse 23, if anyone wants to follow after me, come after me. Jesus gives us an invitation. And in this invitation, he's saying, if you want true life, it's only found in one place. You come to me, and I will be the one who brings true life. So it starts with an invitation where Jesus says, come to me. The second thing we see in this invitation is Jesus says, I'm going to show you what it means to be a disciple. This isn't just a one-time act. When you come to me and you say, I want true life, the answer is to be in relationship with me. Be my disciple. I'm going to show you what that's all about. And then the third thing we see in this passage and the way that it's written in this original language here is that Jesus is talking about a continuous relationship with him. The only source of a true life is to have a continuous relationship with him. You see, becoming a true disciple is not just like a one-time action where you sign up for a membership. To be a disciple is not like a membership. It's a continuous relationship with your master to say, I want to know you. I want to grow in your ways. I want to be like you. It's an ongoing forever thing. And true life does not happen apart from Jesus Christ. And we try to make it happen in so many different ways. Even as Christians, we morph ourselves to the ways of the world, and the ways of our heart, trying to enhance our lives and make it better. And Jesus is saying, it's found in one place, it's found in me. We can become so weary trying to find true life in so many other places. Picture, if you can, me having a balloon. I just blow it up. I have a hard time blowing balloons up. That's why I didn't do it live. I didn't want to embarrass myself and spit all over, have it go over. But I, I have this balloon I blew up. Sometimes the way we treat life is we feel like we have to keep batting the balloon. I got to go to work, bat. I got to make sure I pay my bills, bat. I got to make sure that I have that conversation with that person, bat. I got to make sure I, I lo- love this person and be loving and kind to that person, bat. And life gets so hard as we bat, we keep batting this balloon because we can't let this balloon fall because that means life will fall apart. So we keep batting this balloon and then we kind of put religious twists on it. We forget the gospel and we kind of say, well, do, I need to make sure I attend church and get points with God, bat. I need to make sure my good outweighs my bad, bat. I need to make sure that I, I'm doing all the things I can do and I'm serving and volunteering, bat. And we try and life gets so hard and we spend our life batting this balloon up in the air. And Jesus comes and says, I want to invite you to a better way. I want to invite you to true life. Now picture if we have a balloon full of helium. And we let it go and it just rises up. See, Jesus says, this is the empowered life that I give. You see, true life is found in real when it's lifted by another. True life comes when we live it in a way where we're so yielded and trusting to the one who made life, Jesus, that he empowers it to live and soar into the things that he has for us. But to do that, we have to accept the invitation. We have to accept the invitation and ask him into our life and repent and believe in who he is and say, God, I want you in my life. Will you come in? Let yourself enter my life and control and take your rightful place. So the first thing is to come after me. The second thing is to deny yourself. Look at verse 23. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. This is a hard one. Not only is it hard to know what Jesus means, but once you know what he means, it makes it even harder to do it. 
Jesus is not saying we should deny ourselves certain things, food and different practices and things like that. That could be good in and of itself, but that's not what he's saying here. What Jesus says when he says deny yourself, what he, what he means when he says deny yourself, he means to deny personal control of your life. He means giving up the reins, giving up the rights that you have to yourself. You see, when you become a Christian, you are no longer your own. The Bible says you now become a slave to God. You now become a servant to God. When you ask Christ in and you accept that invitation, he is now ruling and reigning over every aspect of your life, which means you are not. Part of finding true life is we have to find the secret where we realize that True life comes when we deny ourselves and give Jesus Christ, our master, our creator, full control and full reign over our life. When you see to be a disciple, it means to deny yourself. It means you have to deny personal control of your life. In other words, it means you surrender all your rights to Jesus Christ. You surrender your desires. You surrender your dreams. You surrender your ambitions for your life to God. You say, God, I'm, I'm more interested in the life you have for me than the life that I have for myself and trying to make it all happen. You yield control of yourself to God. A few weeks ago in this series, we looked at what it means to guard your heart. And in that talk, we talked about how guarding your heart is, the heart is the control center of a person's life. It's like the moral, emotional, mental um, will of a person's being. And what Jesus is saying here when he says to deny yourself means you have to give me control of that. I am now in the control center of your life. You no longer are. Just like when it comes to NASA, mission control calls the shots, not the astronauts. Jesus is saying, I want to become the mission control of your life. I want to be the one that guides you and leads you. And in order to have that happen, we can't have two masters so you must die so that I can live. So that I take my rightful place. That means you surrender every part of your being to God. And you say, God, here's my dreams. Here's my ambitions. Here's my goals. I give these to you because I want your goals. I want your dreams. I want your ambitions for my life. You see, when we surrender all to him, it's not the end game. It's the beginning of a true life the way God intended us to live because then we get God's dreams and God's desires and God's visions for how we should live. And that's where we find true and abundant life. One of the pastors and theologians I like to read is a guy named Ajith Fernando and he's from Sri Lanka and he's in charge of Youth for Christ in Sri Lanka. And Ajith Fernando has come to the United States for schooling and he, he did his bachelor's degree here, he did his master's degree here, his doctorate degree here, de degree here. He's brilliant when it comes to the Bible and Scripture. He's just amazing in, in what he writes and how he reflects on what's going on. And he's received several, several offers to stay here in the United States and teach at the finest seminaries and to bring his family out of war-torn Sri Lanka, to bring his family out of poverty, to come to the United States and live in a beautiful home in a beautiful suburb and teach in a highly prestigious Christian university or Christian seminary. Multiple, multiple offers to come to the United States. And he, unlike very many people who come here in the Christian realm to study, he went back. And he said, no, I have to go back to Sri Lanka. 
And he went back to live in poverty. And he lives in poverty. Not only does he live in poverty, he lives in a war-torn city where terrorism is on the rise, where there's constant violence in the streets. And people have said to him, why on earth do you continue to do this? You could have your kids be raised in safety. You could have your kids be raised with educational opportunity. And he says, yes, but if I do that, they may be raised in safety, but they could lose their soul. Because when they ask Ajith Fernando why he doesn't come to the United States and accept these offers, he says, because my life is not my own. I can't make that decision. That decision belongs to God. And right now, God is saying he wants us in Sri Lanka, and I trust him over all the earthly things that can be given to me. You see, that's a heart that denies yourself. That's a heart that has God in control. That's a heart that yields all the things and the wishes and desires we want and says, you know what, God, even though it would feel so much better to go to the United States and get comfort and and finances, and, and not that there's anything wrong with that, it feels so much better to do that, what's better yet is to know what you want from me and that to live in the trust that I have in you, that you are controlling my life, that you are calling the shots. So we're to come after God, we're to take up our cross or deny ourselves, and then we're finally, number three, take up your cross daily. We're to take up our cross daily. Verse 23 again. Let him deny him, or if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Jesus' words on this one would have freaked his disciples out. They would have shocked them to the core. Keep in mind that Jesus has not gone to the cross yet. So it's not like they saw Jesus go to the cross, they saw him die, they raised, and now he says, take up your cross. Like we hear that and know the story and say, oh, okay. He, they haven't seen him go to the cross yet. So when they're interacting with him in this intimate time as disciples and he's sharing the true way of life and he says to them, take up your cross daily, they're having a hard time wrapping their minds around this. This would be hard for them to understand that a way of life is to take up your cross because they've seen people take up their cross and they know that that's a one-way street. They've watched people get executed by crucifixion and there's nothing about life that is around that. So why on earth would Jesus use this metaphor to say if you want true life and you don't want to lose it, You take up your cross. This is the metaphor Jesus decides to use to help him communicate what following him is all about because what Jesus is saying is if you want to be my true disciple and you want to have abundant, soul-satisfying life in the here and now and have eternity in the next life, that person, if you want that, must take the position of a person who's condemned to death in this world. If you want that kind of life, you must take the position of a person who is serving out a life sentence with God as the judge and the claim. Because when we're in that spot, what it speaks to is a devotion and trust level that says, no matter what this world offers me, I want to follow you. No matter what this world can give me, It can't give me what you can give me. No matter what this world promises me, 
It can't bring a life like the life that you can bring. And so I'm sold out to no other master but you. In calling all other masters, I put myself on notice. I put you on notice that I am no longer living for you. I am living a death sentence inside of Jesus Christ. Because in him and him alone is true life. So what does it mean, though, to take up your cross? First, notice the last word in that. It's not just take up your cross. It's take up your cross daily. This is something that we do as Christians and true disciples. Every single day we must take up our cross. It's not a one-time act. I love that Luke included it in here daily. It's constant. So what does it mean? How do we do it? We have different ideas of what it means to take up crosses. We think if we go through something hard, that's the cross I have to bear. We, we say, oh, that's just my cross if we have to go through difficulty. But there's more to it than that. It doesn't mean just going through difficulties of life. It doesn't mean having a bad boss or a difficult relationship or a money struggle or illness. God uses those things to shape us, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. To take up your cross means something a little bit different. And what Jesus meant here when he said take up your cross is he meant taking up your cross daily means specifically walking in obedience to Jesus, fully embracing his ways, and putting up with the negative consequences due to following him. It means putting up with the shame and the ridicule when you're trying to live out your life in the workplace by Christian standards and people can't figure it out and they persecute you for it. It means young people and old people living your life in terms of relationship with the sexual ethics that God has set, not the world's set, and to say, I'm going to honor intimacy, physical intimacy, and hold it for uh, times of marriage, and only when the constructs of a, of a bond of marriage between a man and a woman, and I don't care if I get persecuted for that because I believe what God says is true, and I believe I can trust him in that. It means when you're in the family and, and there's things happening and, and you have a broken relationship and everything inside you just wants to write it off and say, forget that person. Every time I get with them, they just hurt me. I'm just not gonna, I'm just gonna get, and then to try to pray through and think, what is the road to forgiveness here? What is the road to reconciliation? You see, Trials and difficulties alone are not cross-bearing. Trials and difficulties because of following Jesus are cross-bearing. When we go through things and we go through hardships and we go through trials because we've identified ourselves as Christians, that's what Jesus is getting at when he says, take up your cross. Our cross comes from being associated to Jesus Christ and which is proportionate to our dedication to him. Listen to me. Listen to me. If you want to be a disciple that finds true life, you have to connect with Jesus so deeply that you are willing to go through ridicule to be in relationship with him. If you want to be a disciple that has true life, you have to connect so deeply with Jesus that you are willing to go through ridicule and shame if necessary to be associated with him. See, that's what he's getting at here. Because when you go to that place, it speaks to a devotion and a trust that goes beyond personal comfort. 
Because none of us like to be excluded. None of us like to go through shame. None of us like to go through scorn. But when we do that in light of what Jesus says, what we're saying is, Jesus, what you say and your call is more important than my personal emotional comfort. Your call and what you're telling me to live is more important than how I feel when everyone is poking, make fun of me and laughing at me. I want you and I'm willing to pay pain and discomfort in this world if I have to, to get you. That's the call to true life. That's what Jesus is saying in here when he says, bear my cross. It's, it's, it's unbelievably shocking. It's not easy. But it's the call. You might be saying that sounds horrible. And you right, it's hard. But Jesus is saying if you want abundant soul-satisfying, ultimate life that's going to last for eternity, you're not going to get that in what the world will offer you. There's only one place you can get that, and that's in Jesus Christ alone. See, here's the truth. A death sentence in Jesus does not destroy you. It brings you life. A death sentence in Jesus does not destroy you. It brings you life, and it brings you to the life he intended you to have. But the opposite of this is true, too, as we're going to see in the scripture, that if you live your life for the ways of the world, it's a death sentence that leads to death. But a death sentence to Jesus, that's a different thing altogether. That doesn't destroy you. That brings you to life. It awakens you to live the way God intended you to live when he dreamed of how he wanted you to live. It means renouncing the world's ways. The final one, Jesus said, come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. The next action is to follow Jesus. It's a continual, I'm not a one-time thing, I'm gonna follow Jesus. And when Jesus says follow me, he didn't mean like I'm gonna walk and you follow behind me and we play follow the leader and we go through. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is you approach life the way I approach life. You think of the world the way I think of the world. You think of your money and time the way I think of your money and time. You think of loving others the way I think of loving others. That you model and form your life to the way that I view life. That your desires and opinions and thoughts are rooted in what I declare and mandate and show they should be rooted in. That there's a conformity that happens from our way of thinking to Jesus' way of thinking. So how do we know Jesus' way of thinking? How do we know what that is? How do we conform ourselves to that? That's why I say we got to give ourselves to this book. we got to give ourselves to worship. We have to give ourselves to prayer and spending time and being with God and saying, will you teach me your ways, God? Will you show me your truth? Show me what it means to be conformed to this life. And in that secret place of exchange of us being honest with God and saying, God, show me how to do it, he meets us there. And by the power of his spirit, he starts to change and transform our lives where all of a sudden we live true, abundant, soul-satisfying life that lasts for eternity, that even death in this world can't take that away. You see how powerful it is? You want real life? Die to yourself and live for Jesus Christ. This is what he says. 
Come after me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Some of you are like, does that really work? Is that really, really true? Look at verse 24 and 25. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains all these things in the world, yet loses or forfeits himself, or as some translations say, loses and forfeits his soul? See, Jesus says there's only two ways. You can either live this life in a way where you try to save this life, and ultimately you're going to lose your life in eternity. Or you can die to yourself now live for Christ, and have true life forever and ever and ever. Those are the two options that Jesus laid out to his intimate group of followers, and he extends those to us as well. You can live in a way that's all about you, your steps, your desires, your things, and it says in a way it'll lead to death, or you can live a way where you yield your life to God and let God's dreams and realities become your dreams and realities. Let God's vision for your life and your family become your vision for your life and your family. It's what we like about calling our church Crossview Church. To live like this means you live your life in view of the cross, in view of what he's called us to be. And it's in that spot that you'll find you truly live. One of my favorite devotional books is a book by Dennis Kinlaw he writes this story from January 19th, and it kind of talks a lot about what we're talking about here. He says, I know an Episcopal minister who served in a rural parish for several years before pursuing a career in teaching. He lived on a farm while he served in the pastorate, and one Sunday morning, he was puttering about the barn before church when his three-year-old daughter came running in, holding out her pudgy little hand. She said, Daddy, Look what I found. Isn't it pretty? My friend saw the morning sunlight glisten on this object in her hand, and he saw it shine, and he realized it was a double-edged razor blade. And he thought to himself, how do I get that blade out of her hand? If I try to take it from her, she's going to clutch it even tighter, and when she does that, she's going to slice her hand open, maybe badly enough to scar her for life. So he said, honey, that is very dangerous. It will cut you. You must not close your hand. You must give that to daddy. But it is mine, she said. I found it. Yes, I know, but it, it's very, very dangerous. You must let me take that. As he stepped closer, she began to clutch her hand. Don't do that, honey, he said. If you squeeze it, I'll have to take you to Dr. Jones. She said, oh, Dr. Jones, I like Dr. Jones. He gives me suckers. He said, it's not easy for a theologian to reason with a three-year-old. Finally, my friend assumed a curious attitude about his daughter's newfound treasure. It certainly is pretty, he said. May I take a look at it one more time? And she opened up her hand, and he cupped her little hand by putting his hand underneath. And while he shared in the pleasure in the, what she found, he gently pulled back her fingers one by one, till he can lift the deadly instrument out of her hand. When Jesus comes to your life and he says, let me take it over, it's not because he's trying to steal your treasure 
or take away your life. It's because he wants to give you true life that's going to make you live beyond this world and into the next. And if he's approaching you today, right now, whatever you do, whatever you do, do not close your hand on the things you're holding tight to. For some of you, that's maybe your own life in itself. You're saying, I want to live. Jesus is saying, open your hand. Allow me to come in. Invite me into your life. Let me take control. Maybe some of you have become Christians and you're living the Christian life, but you recently have developed a habit or a desire and there's this one thing you're grabbing onto. God's saying today, you know what? I want that too. Give that up. Give that to me. I think in respond to this text and respond to this invitation, it would be appropriate for us just to have a moment of silence. And if God is calling you to give up your life to him, if he's calling you to give up this dream or this ambition that you've been making a God in itself, if he's calling you to give up this desire or this habit and you want to hang on to that because you think it gives you life, just talk to God about it in this place. And be courageous enough to give it back to him and say, God, though I don't know what's going to happen, I trust you with this. I trust you with this relationship. I trust you with this pain and this hurt. I trust you with this habit. I trust you with my very life. Let's have some time now in silence and just go before the Lord and spend time with him and see what he would, how he would lead you in this way. Father God, I thank you that you love us so much. You long for us to have true life. And Father, I thank you for the grace and the forgiveness when we blow it. None of us can say we've lived it out perfectly. We are in a house of imperfect people. And I thank you that your grace is such that that you bring a pathway to life to those who are imperfect. And it's called the gospel. And through this gospel, you said, if you're imperfect, come to me. Come after me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me, and I will give you life no matter what you have done, no matter who you are. And so, God, I ask you to help us to live out this amazing offer. If there's things that we clutch as your people, will you give us the grace to release those and renew our trust in you again? Lord, help us to live lives that are so reflected in, of your love and your mercy and your grace and your truth. We want to be your people who trust our Heavenly Father immensely to the point where we give up all in this life to have more of you. So create that desire within us. Protect us from the lies of ourselves and the world that rebel against that in our heart. And we pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.